interesting, amen? Uh, Romans chapter 8, last week we talked about the greatest promise in the Bible, or the greatest promise for the Christian life. Uh, there's a lot of promises for salvation, a lot of promises for heaven, a lot of, a lot of great promises in the scripture, but that one great promise that all things work together for good to them that love God is just phenomenal. Boy, without that verse, without that truth, what would you do? What would you do? It's just so needful for us today. Today, what I want to talk about is the greatest purpose for the Christian life, the greatest purpose. And like I said, in the scripture, there's a lot of purposes. There's a lot of things that God calls us to do, a lot of things that you can say, this is what my purpose and but this is the greatest purpose, and I have no doubt whatsoever that this, what we're going to talk about today, is the greatest thing that's going to happen in your life if you allow it to take place on this earth. I know ultimately if you're saved, you will uh, fulfill this particular purpose. But in Romans 8, 29, we're going to read verse 29 in the book of Romans. And I know I've been tiptoeing through this, this uh, chapter, but what a powerful passage, Amen. Uh, I think 17, 19 times the, the word the spirit is used. So this whole chapter is talking about a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And today is no different. This is a very powerful truth, and it talks about God's uh, spirit working in us. In verse number uh, 29, I'll read verse 30 as well. But it says, and we know, uh, verse uh, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that it might be the firstborn among many brethren. That, my friend, you need to circle that verse right there. That is one of the greatest verses in the Bible right there. It says in verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would just help us today to get something from this passage. It would help us in our daily lives Help us, Lord, to see the great truth, this great purpose that we have to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to give our hearts to that in the practical way, and we sure thank you for the ultimate positional truth that we will all be like Jesus one day. I pray, Lord, your blessing on this time. Fill me with your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've got a couple of verses here. I'll give you some definitions first. What we need to understand is what is the word conformed? The Bible says in verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, the thing is, the Bible, people talk about it all the time. They say, oh, men are created in the image of God. And uh, that's true. And that's true. And we ought to respect man because they are created in the image of God. Uh, it's unlike animals and unlike uh, that. And the world wants you to think that you're on the same par as animals. I'm sorry, it's not true. Animals were not created in the image of God. But mankind was created in the image of God. So taking the life of a person is a much uh, more grievous offense than taking the life of an animal. And no matter what the world tries to tell you about that, all right, we need to think straight about it. Back in the garden, Adam experienced a wonderful image that God created him to be, and he, he was fulfilling that in his perfect sense. He was walking with God daily, and that image that he had was untainted that God created him to be. But what took place is sin came into the world in Genesis chapter 3, and immediately what took place is man's image became corrupted. 
And even though we still have the three parts of man, like uh, God always works in threes and he creates in threes and that's how he leaves his little mark on everything on this world. It just proves that he is our creator. We are spirit, soul, and body, but each one of those were corrupted because of sin. Our spirit was at that point made dead. And that's what he said. If you need that tree, he says, thou shalt surely die. And that death is talking about a separation. So if you're here without Christ as your Savior, your spirit is separated from God, which means that it's dead. It has no life within it. Life has its source in God. And for you to truly have life that God is talking about, not just physical life, but eternal life, you have to have God place that inside of you and reconnect your spirit back to him. Amen? And that's what we call being born again. When you become born again, your spirit becomes regenerated. And now your spirit is connected with God. And your spirit is that part of you that's always closest to God. It's always connected right with him. Even though your mind may not be right, your feelings may not be right, your decisions may not be right, your spirit is always right because it's connected to God. And God wants to work through that spirit into your soul, if you will let him, in this day that you live in today. And this is a big part of what we're talking about today. So we were in the image of God, and then what took place is sin came into the world, and that image became tainted. Spirit became dead, soul became corrupt, and our bodies became broken. And all of you know that. You're feeling it today. Some of you have aches and pains, and you got out of bed and say, oh, do I have to go to church because I feel this way, that way, or the other? Well, that's just simply a result of that corruption of sin in this world. It's not necessarily because you personally did anything wrong today is why you're hurting today, but it's just simply the natural outflow of a sinful world and a sinful mankind. Amen? So those three parts of you are corrupt. So what Jesus Christ did, he says, I'm going to come, as the second Adam, the perfect Adam. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you life. And that's what he did. He starts in your spirit, and he works from your spirit to your soul. And ultimately, he's going to work in your body when he calls you up and he gives you a glorified body. Amen? So all three parts of those that are now corrupt are going to be reinstated or re, uh, revigorated and brought back to the image of God the way they were intended to be. And so you got to be careful about that image thing because that's why the Bible talks about in, in the Old Testament, thou shalt not make any graven image. Because he doesn't want you to be worshiping images of any animal or corrupt thing because everything that you could carve or paint or uh, look at or fabricate is something that you would have to replicate from this cursed earth. And he says, I don't want you to be doing that. I don't want you to worship a cow, a calf, a rat, a snake. Uh, I don't want you to worship the sun or the stars or the the moon, or so forth, they're all corrupt. And we saw that in Romans chapter 8. They are all desiring to be clothed with that uh, new immorality or Im immortality that we're talking about uh, in the resurrection. Even creation itself wants to be saved. Amen. And we know that's going to happen in the new earth, in the perfect age. And so what happens here is, is we're corrupt, but the Lord made us his promise that I'm going to restore you into the image of God. But the devil comes along and wants us to focus on the corrupt image. He wants us actually to bring down the image of God down to the image of a corruptible beast or an animal or something like that. And that's why that's a big problem to God. It's not because he's intimidated by stone and wood and things like that. But it has a problem when you yourself begin to think that this image on earth is somehow associated with the greatness of our God. 
And that is an attack on his person. Amen? So you start worshiping a pig, you become like a pig. You start worshiping a calf, you, be, you take on the nature of that calf. You start worshiping Christ, and this is why he said, thou shalt not worship any graven image, because he says, I have an image for you to worship, and I will send him, and he is the image of the Almighty God, and the Bible says that, the express image of God, and when you worship him, you are actually changed into the very image of Jesus Christ himself, and that's going to return you back to the beginning where you should have been, where you should have stayed before sin came into the world, and that's why he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. You understand that? There's a couple of words here I want you to understand because people use these passages and they try to corrupt your thinking by bringing in Calvinism. This word foreknow and the word predestinate. Now, folks, we are not Calvinists. I don't want to argue with you about it. I don't even want to talk to you about it because if you're sold to Calvinism, you probably won't listen to me anyways. But that's not what we are here. We don't believe that God chooses people to go to hell. We believe that God chooses them to become like Christ if they receive his son. He's got a great plan for every person that makes a simple decision to receive Jesus as their savior. And a lot of those things are predestinated for you. You have nothing to do with them. Amen. And this is one of those great promises and this great purpose that we have here is that God is going to make us into the very image of his son. There's no greater thing than that. There's no greater purpose he could be called to. Now, there's secondary things that are a result of that. Like when Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. But notice what the ultimate purpose was is to follow him. It's first to become like him and the fisher of men. He says, I'll make you to become. It's going to happen. You're going to be that. If you're going to be like me, you're going to be a soul winner. So you can't make your soul winning the ultimate purpose of your life. You've got to make being like Christ the ultimate purpose of your life. And all these other things will become the outflow purposes of being like the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't live in that kind of day today. We've got people, they forget about being like Jesus, and they think they can act like they want, talk like they want, be like they want, and this is the way I'm going to win people. I'm sorry, that's not what you do. You can't go and use rock music and so, so forth to win people because that's not Christ-like. You first become like Christ and then he'll use you to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. This first word I want you to understand is the word foreknow. And that's what he says. I mean, that's an important word here. For whom he did foreknow. Foreknow. What does foreknow mean? It means to know or to perceive or recognize beforehand, knowing previously, take into account or specially consider beforehand. So what does he foreknow? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 2, it says elect. There's that word, that Calvinistic word, elect, right? Elect is not Calvinism. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So you become a chosen one through his foreknowledge. What does he know before? That you're going to receive his son. Do you understand that if you're going to receive Jesus Christ as your savior, he foreknew that? He knew the exact day, he knew exactly what he needed to do to make that happen. That was all his plan for you. <laughs> so now because he foreknew you, he made you a part of his elect. 
And he said, because you're a part of my elect, then this is what I'm going to predestinate you to become. You're going to become like my son. So that's predestination. That means I'm already predestined. We've got that word next. I'm not going to go there yet. (laughs) God being omniscient, which means all-knowing, knows everything even before it happens. There's nothing that God does not know. God knows your decisions today. He knows your decisions tomorrow. He knows every decision you'll ever make in your life. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And he knows before you leave this building whether one fell to the ground. He has that number too. Do you understand that? That's called omniscience. It means all-knowing. There's nothing he does not know. He knew you would receive Christ before you ever did. He knew before you were born that you would receive Christ. He knew you before he formed the world. He knew you and he knew when you would receive Christ before he even said, let there be light. He knows every person that will receive Christ before they do. He does not determine them to receive Christ, but he has the foreknowledge that they would. See, that's powerful. See, what they'll teach you is, in Calvinism, is that, well, that, the sovereignty of God is the big deal here. Folks, there's never the aspect of a greater definition of what sovereignty is than for God to work and fulfill his perfect plan within the decisions of imperfect people. And yet everything he does comes to pass. You tell me what's more sovereign, a God that has to force you to make the decision so he can do what he needs to do, or a God that can do it even though you make the wrong decisions. we got a God that's greater than the Calvinist God. You understand that? He does not determine you to be saved. You have to make that decision. You have to receive Christ as your Savior. It's not going to happen automatically. You've got to decide. And if you do decide, the Lord already knew you would decide. And he already made you a part of his elect. Amen? The second word I want you to see is the word predestinate. Predestinate. To be conformed to the image of Christ. This word predestinate means to determine or decree beforehand. You got to understand when God makes a decree, there is nothing on this planet, in heaven, in earth, or any other place that can break a decree of God. When God speaks a decree, that decree comes to pass. That's the powerful, that's more uh, associated with his omnipotence. Omnipotence means all-powerful. You have his omniscience, which means all-knowing. He's omnipotent, which means that he's all-powerful. Amen? Those that he knew would be saved are all predestined to be Christ-like. So that means if you're saved here today, the end of your journey is you will be like Jesus. That's, that's just a sold-out thing. If you're here and you're lost and you will be saved, guess what? Your end will be like Jesus. A person that will not choose to receive Christ will not be like Jesus. They refused it. So we we, we have to look at two aspects of this predestination. The one aspect is the positional. That means this is going to happen no matter what. Well, say, well, then I'll just sit around and wait for this to happen. (laughs) Amen. I mean, if it's going to happen, 
Then why put any effort into it? Well, the thing is this. If you are saved, you will put effort in because you are saved. There's something in you that wants you to be more than you are. There's a driving thing in your heart. That's why you're sitting here this morning, unless someone grabbed you by the ears and dragged you to church. But if nobody had to drag you to church this morning, then you're here because you have something inside of you that says, I want to be better. I want to be like the Lord. Amen. Now, if you've been dragged here today, you're probably lost. You have no desire. And you need to make a decision to get on board with God's plan for your life. He created you. He made it possible that you could breathe and you can continue on another day. He's the reason why you're not sick and dying today. He's the reason why that you can still see and hear and hear the word of God today is because he wants you to hear the gospel and be saved. Get saved. Positional. This is what 1 John 3 verse 2 is talking about when it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So what that means is, we don't know exactly what we're going to be like. We, this is a mystery to us. But we know that, and this is the wonderful phrase here, but we know something. And when you know something, you know something. So when God says you know something, that means you know it. And what do you know? When he shall appear, we shall be like him. That's what you know. So if you're sitting here today, well, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. Well, then you need to get saved. Well, I have been saved, but, uh, you know, you mess up and you... Folks, how can you have a knowledge of something and then all of a sudden don't have it? Do you understand if you're born again here today, you have a knowledge, and that knowledge is always knowledge, and you'll have that knowledge till the day you die. So you can know that today that you will, you will be like Christ. We know that. We know that because of verses like we're talking about today in Romans 8, 29, and other verses that prove to us that this is the ultimate purpose for your life, to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, this is an important phrase as well, and I think we don't quite give this enough thought. <laughs> for we shall see him as he is. For, because, because we see him as he is. So I'm going to become like him because... I'm going to see him like he is. Now, what does that mean? That means that the very fact with you being a spirit-indwelt believer, when you see Jesus for who he is, it's going to have such a profound impact on you, you will automatically change into the image of Jesus. That's powerful. That's super powerful. And not only that, <clears throat> that reveals to you the practical aspect of being conformed to the image of Christ. See, the positional aspect is, oh, when I see him, I'm going to become like him. So I, I could sit around in my room all day, twiddle my thumbs until Jesus comes. And when he comes again, I'm going to be like him. Even though I'm twiddling my thumbs every day, every day, 24 hours a day, now, we know you're not going to do that. You're going to go to church. You're going to want to do the things of God. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to be what God wants you to be. Amen? But positionally speaking, it doesn't matter what you do. But what you do know is this, that when he comes again, you're going to be like him. Why? 
Oh, because you'll see him as he is. You'll see him as he is. So the practical aspect of being conformed to the image of Christ is something we need to consider here because there's a practical aspect to this predestination. He gives us the opportunity while we're still here on this earth, in the corrupt soul that we have, in the corrupt body we have, to become Christ-like. Well, you say, what's going to make that difference? Or what's going to make me like Jesus? Well, the kind of the same thing that's going to make you like Jesus when he comes again, when you see him as he is. That's what's going to make you like Christ. See, that's what I mean. You're going to sit in your room your whole life and you're going to twiddle your thumbs. You're not going to read your Bible. You're not going to go to the church. You're not going to think on Jesus. So your soul is stagnant. You're not changing. You're not becoming. You're sitting here on the games all day long. You don't see Jesus in Call of Duty, guys. No Jesus there. Now, they mention his name a lot, shamefully. But in that, you're not changing. You're not becoming like Christ. You're not becoming like Jesus. The way you become like Jesus when you see him as he is. Now, I want you to understand that today, and that's really our practical part of this message here. Now, the first thing is this, is that the Holy Spirit changes us into Christ's image as we yield to truth. So only those that are indwelt by the Spirit of God when he breaks through the clouds will actually be changed into the image of Christ. You have to have that inner power before you can be changed outwardly. (laughs) He starts on the inside, he works out. He doesn't work on the outside and work in. Amen. And so the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Renewing, renovating, that's what that word means. So there's a renovation process going on in your life. And so when you got saved, the Spirit regenerated you and now he's renewing you. You got a bunch of old construction that has taken place bunch of old thoughts that have gotten into your head, a bunch of old structures that have been built in your life that you need to challenge whether that truly is level or not. Is that truly going to bear the load, amen? And anybody that's wise won't go to their feelings and their reasoning as to why their building is going to stand or not. They're going to go to the plan. They're going to say, hey, we need to know exactly whether this is going to withstand the fires and the, and the pressures of life. Amen? What's the plan? The Word of God. You go to the blueprint. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. You can turn there if you like, or it might be up on the screen if men can keep up. But it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 15, it says, But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Talking about Israel. So Israel has been given a lot of truth. They've been given the word of God. I mean, they, they knew that God made that initial proto-evangelium, that first gospel that said that he was going to crush the head of the serpent with the seed of the woman. They knew that that was taking place and all the pictures of the tabernacle and the blood that was shed and the lambs that would give their life, all these things were given to Israel. But to this day, they've got a veil over their eyes. They can't see what it means. Amen? Nevertheless, When it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, there's a great truth right there. 
Each one of us, we have a veil over our eyes, and the only time it's going to be removed is when you finally turn to the Lord. You got to get saved, but not only just get saved, if you want to get renovated, you got to turn to the Lord. Then he'll take away that veil. He'll reveal some things to you. Now, verse 17, here we have the aspect of the Holy Spirit. It says, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen? So, wherever the spirit of the Lord resides, whatever place he puts himself, that place has become liberated. He liberates every place that he indwells. So when he comes inside of you, your spirit, and he lives in there, he has just liberated your spirit. He set it at liberty. Now the Bible says he wants you to be filled with the spirit of God. Being filled with the spirit of God is allowing that spirit that's in your spirit living with you to have access into your soul. You understand? Just because you have Jesus as your Savior, just because the Spirit of God is inside of you, doesn't mean that He has all of you. That you have to do. He's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to force you. But what He's going to do is make you a promise. <laughs> that when you turn your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ in any area of your life, I will come in and liberate you in that particular problem you're facing. That's his promise. You got a problem with bitterness? What you need to do is take a good look at Jesus. And when you see him and what he did on that cross for you, when you see how that freely, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When you see Jesus that way, it liberates you because you become like him because you've got the Holy Spirit in you and he practically changes you. So immediately you say, well, then I need to forgive these people for what they did. And now you've become like Jesus. Amen? Not just one time. And then we forget, oh, tomorrow, oh, yeah, yeah, i got to remember to do this again. <laughs> what you need to do is take on the principle of forgiveness. The principle of forgiveness so that when you, before you leave your door in the morning to go to work, you already have it in your mind, I will forgive anyone that does anything to me. That, my friend, is being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what Jesus did for you. Amen? And the only way you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ is if you look at him. We see that in the scriptures, and many times he reveals that. He talks about, uh, he talks, forgive as Christ forgave. So the Lord reminds you, he reminds you to go back. It says, hey, remember what Jesus did for you on that cross? So the command to you, Christian, is to forgive as Christ forgave. And when he says, as Christ forgave, he puts an arrow there and he points it back to what Jesus did for you so that you go and look at him and change. So if you're not a person that likes to go to the Bible and read the Bible, well, I just don't like reading. You don't like Jesus because he will change you. You've got to look at Jesus. You've got to look to him. As real as it is when he breaks through the clouds, that power that's in you, 
that power of the resurrection that's in you is going to purge your soul in such a way, I don't know what it's going to feel like, but man, it's going to be good. I don't think it's going to hurt. I think it's going to be like a flood of darkness coming out of my soul. And I think it's going to be like light flowing in and peace in my heart that I've never known. Little bits of it in my life, I've known peace. Oh, I love that peace. But he's going to say, you just wait till you see me. The Prince of Peace. That little dark cloud that you walk around with. Some people have a big one. It's like there's always lightning. and <laughs> Where was that? In the Flintstones or I don't know. <laughs> one of those old cartoons. People walking around. They always got that cloud over them. Can't escape it. Bright and shiny day outside, but above my head there's this cloud. Praise God, we got a church to go to. You got good friends here. You got people that love you. You got someone opening up the Word of God. You got Sunday school teachers that love your kids. Yet you walk in with a cloud. It's not right. Look to Jesus. Let me erase that from your life. So many great things that God is doing and yet that cloud just follows you everywhere you go. Oh, I'm so glad that when I see Jesus, he's going to just pull that all out of my life. I'm going to finally see a clear day for once. But I don't want to wait till then. I want to get as much of that as I can today. So I choose to forgive. Amen? Do you choose? Choose to forgive. Choose to obey God. Choose to look to Christ. Don't let that dark spirit, I don't care who told you to do it. I don't care how they convinced you to be the way you are. You just look in their face and say, no, I will not. I am, my purpose is to be like Jesus. And I'm not going to let you corrupt me. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Don't hang around with people that want to put a dark cloud over your head. Amen? It goes on to say here, but we all, in verse 18, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Beholding as in a glass, that means a mirror. That's the way they would look at mirrors as a glass. So what's the contrast here? He says, oh, the veil. The veil that is covering their face is still there until this day. But then he goes on to say, but we, we behold it as a mirror. And we look within it and it changes us into the very image of God's Son. That's what it's saying in that passage. Oh, is that powerful. He changes your heart. He changes everything about you. And it says from glory to glory. What's the glory of God? The glory is the very essence of God. It's the weight of God. It's the riches of God. It's everything that is great and wonderful and, and powerful. That's what glory is. That's why it's such a travesty when you try to claim your own. Well, I'm, you're nothing. <laughs> you know what it means to give glory to God? It means for every breath you take, everything you do, everywhere you can go, everything that you can accomplish, 
You say, this is only because God is allowing me to do it. And if anything good ever comes out of my life, it's because what Jesus put into me to do it. It has nothing to do with my natural man. See, there's no glory I'm possessing there. But what I'm doing is I'm giving all glory to God. Amen? It's not just talking about talking. It's talking about living. You live the glory of God. Amen? It's amazing because this ultimate desire is to glorify you if you will not glorify yourself. The word says that beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image, same image from glory to glory. Changed means, it means metamorphoso. Meta denoting a change of place or condition. And morpha means the form So he's changing you from one thing to another form. That's what that's saying there. I'm changing you. And that's based upon the knowledge of Christ. In Colossians 3, 8, it says, But now ye also put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Stop cursing. Your cursing is revealing to everybody around you that you are not like Jesus. Amen? Like you're rejecting the knowledge of Christ. It goes on to say here, lie not one to another. Stop lying to people to get your way, to cover yourself, to protect your reputation. Stop lying. Lying has nothing to do with Jesus. Change your reputation by changing your character. Like I always say about Abraham Lincoln, he said the, the, the character is like a tree and the reputation is the shadow that the tree casts. And you know what your lying comes from? Your lying is simply trying to change the perception of what your shadow looks like to people. That's what your lying does. But it doesn't change you. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't prune your branches. It doesn't make you a better person. It's just a matter of deceiving people to think that you're different than what you are. Amen? So the Lord says, put that off. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Amen? So what Jesus says is this, I created you. Do you understand that Jesus Christ created you? He is your creator. The Bible says nothing was made without him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing was made without Jesus. He made it all. So the Bible says that when you put off the old and you decide to put on the new, he says what you're doing is you're putting on a new man that was renewed in the knowledge of the creator, the one that created you. You're becoming like your creator. That's your purpose. That's the greatest purpose. I think a lot of people, they do a lot of Christian things because they don't really want to change. Well, I'll do this in church, I'll serve, I'll do that, I'll do that, but I don't want to change. I would rather you have you spend time changing and stop doing It's far more about what you are than what you do. It's about what you are being, not what you're doing. Amen. 
And what you are being will dictate what you do. But then again, a lot of people will do a lot of things to disguise what they're being. Don't do that. Amen. That's why he says, put it off. First confess it. Cleanse the sin. Deal with the garbage. And then put on and say, Lord, no more. I'm not going to steal with my hands. Like the Bible says, if any man stole, let him steal no more. Say, well, I don't steal anymore. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. He says, hold on there, I'm not done. He says, let him work with his hands and give to him that needeth. You want to talk about repentance? Some of you think you're real proud of yourself. You don't drink alcohol anymore. None to be proud of. Should have never done that filthy stuff. Well, I quit smoking. There's none to be proud of. My question is just, what are you doing? The law of replacement. Well, I stopped doing this, preacher. Well, then what are you doing? I stopped stealing, then what are you doing? I stopped cursing, now what are you doing with your mouth? You'll be proud that you're not cursing. You ought never have cursed. It's from the pit of hell. Amen. But what you ought to glorify God for is the things that he can put in your mouth and bring out where it actually edifies the believers. You're building now because of what God's doing in your heart. He's changing you. Amen? Put on the new man. That means put on as a garment to cause to get into. So like this morning, you made a decision to put on some clothes. Praise God. (laughs) And you probably... Try to choose your best clothes because I'm going to church and I'm going to stand before the Lord and I want him to do a work in my heart and I want to show him that I love him and I want to do my very best for him. Doesn't mean I got to look like the pastor. Doesn't mean I got to have a tie like the pastor. Doesn't mean I got to put on shiny shoes like the pastor. It just means whatever I have that is my best, that is what I'm going to bring to church today. Amen. Now I'm all for suits and I like the way suits look and I think you... A young man that puts on a suit looks sharp. But it's an amazing thing. Uh, I'm not going to judge someone that comes in with the best that they have. It's great. But, you know, the world just says, yeah, that's good enough. No. Because you're always changing. See, the world doesn't want you to change. It wants you to put a line there and say, this is as far as you got to go. And, and if you require any more, there's something wrong with you, preacher. No, sir. I'm going to keep preaching because I want you always to become better and better and better. So if you put on your best, at least you got your principle right. The best is the right principle. But now I need to change my definition of what best is. And that's something that has to be learned. Amen? But some people don't like that. They'll say, oh, no, no, you don't mess with my definitions. Well, then you won't change. I'm sorry, but you got to change all your definitions. Everything that you thought was so great has to come to the truth, the mirror. And when the mirror reflects, it shows you, okay, maybe I could kick this up a notch. And one thing I know about myself is I've never arrived. There's never a time where I can say, hey, folks, just want to let you know that I've arrived be like Jesus today. Oh. No. No matter how far I've gone, I'll say, Lord, there's so much further to go. 
That's not how we compare ourselves among ourselves. We just say, let's help each other to go forward. Because at the end, oh, some of us are going to strive our whole life to be like Jesus. We started down here, a wicked old sinner that didn't care about God, and we, we just we change and let the Lord change us. Here's Jesus. And we're just, oh, I feel so good about Lord. I'm so glad I'm becoming like Jesus. Look at this guy over here. Look at him. He's not as good as I am over here. See, you're, you're losing your perspective. You're not supposed to look at this guy down over there. You're supposed to look at him. When you look at him, you say, wow, Lord, I got a long way to go. And look at this guy. He's just behind me. But I'm like, hey, grab my hand, son. I need you to come with me here and pull him up. So you see that up there? That's our goal. We got to get up there. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. That's the kind of Christians we need today, not these nitpicking critical people that are always nitpicking everybody. I want to tell you something. The people that nitpick are the people that aren't changing. That's something I've noticed. I've been doing this over 20 years, and it's never, it's never been a different scenario. The critics of the church are the only people not growing. Well, I don't want to be a critic good. Thank you very much. Start growing. Start growing. Amen. And when you find that critical spirit start grabbing your heart, you better catch yourself and just realize, I just put the brakes on in my Christian life. And the brakes doesn't mean I stop and stay. The brakes mean I stop, then I begin to roll backward. Well, you better put that foot on the gas because you don't want to be rolling backward. Put a little more foot on that gas, just get rolling forward just a little bit, just keep going up the road. Amen. I know it's an uphill, <laughs> In order to go uphill with a vehicle, you got to keep your foot on the gas. You stop, you take the foot off the gas, where are you going? You're going back down. There's a long way for all of us to go. And you know what? He tells us it's based on the knowledge of Christ. So you have to take a look, good look at the, who Jesus Christ is. And then it's also an interchange. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4.19. We're going to be done. I have so much more. I mean, we can't get there. Galatians 4.19 says this. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Where is Jesus supposed to be formed? In you. It's an interchange. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. It's an inner work. It's an inner work. A mother travails in childbirth. Your mothers agree with that. Say, so that was not easy. Oh, not a big deal, preacher. I've never had a mother ever say that. Not a big deal. We're tough. We can handle it. No. We can't handle it. I can't even handle watching it. But you know, you ladies go through a hard thing. It's called travail. Travail. The Apostle Paul says, I travailed when I gave birth to you guys. And I'm travailing to see Christ formed in you. That's the amount of pain I'm going through watching you change and making sure you change and giving you what you need to change. Are we like that when we look at our families? Does it grieve us? Does it travail? Lord, I just want them to be like Jesus. It's hard enough to bring, bring them into the world, but that travail continues the whole life. A lot of people, well, I led this person to Christ. There we go. Let's mark it down. See you later. <laughs> no, sir. 
Now the travail begins. Because that person that got saved needs to be like Jesus. Amen. Apostle Paul gives a great example of that. And that's going to be because you reject this world. You have to reject the world. And it says in Romans 12 too, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, renovating of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first decision to make is not to be conformed to this world. If you're falling into the mold of this world, you love this world's music, you love this world's entertainment, you love this world's purpose, you love this world's money, you want everything this world has to offer, I'm sorry, you will not become like Christ. You have to reject the mold. Reject the mold. Reject the world. Then you'll be renovated. Amen. So important. Man. Guys, why'd you let me preach so long? So much to preach here. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to give you something to think about as you close your eyes. The next verse, after being changed from glory to glory, he says this. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That means this is where it brings you. How you're going to respond to the lies. How you're going to respond to the false ideas. To renounce means to speak out against, to hold to the end, to refuse, to deny, renounce, disown with aversion. What's the lies in your heart? Are you willing to put those lies out? Are you willing to make that commitment that, Lord, I want the truth in my life and I want the lies out of my life? Then I can be a manifestation. That means to make visible or to make observable the truth of God in my life. That's the change. That's when you become Christ-like. What is it that the Lord is speaking to your heart about this morning? What is it that he brought to the top of your mind? What is it that's keeping you from becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ the way that he wants you to? He is not failing this morning. He has faithfully been speaking to your heart and bringing that issue to the top of your mind and you're going to either keep it or you're going to renounce it. But please don't set it back on the shelf of your heart. So easy to do. Oh, well, we'll deal with that later. No, no. The Holy Spirit of God, which is in charge of your confirmation process, is saying this is needful if you want to become like Jesus. What is it that you need to confess to the Lord this morning? Please take this opportunity. Do not squander what God is doing in your heart.